This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and my name is Adam Jabber. Uh, I was going to start off talking some shit today uh, about how uh, this is not a podcast where we talk over our guests all the time and uh, don't give a shit about who is on the show, but um, that's not what we do, and I'm not going to talk any more shit than that because I feel like that kind of does the job. Um, It's one of those, if you know, you know situations. Anyway, uh, we have a couple great episodes for you today. As usual, uh, Marcus Kasten is on the show. Uh, Jake Blavel is on the show. And, I mean, that both episodes are amazing. Both guests are amazing. Jake, in particular, uh, I think really shined here because you don't get to hear Jake talk that much. Um, and as a snowboarder who's been in the game for so long, every time I say that, I'm like, am I calling them old? I'm not calling them old. I just mean, like, the dude knows what he's doing. We have a mutual sponsor in Darn Tough Socks, and he's a Vermonter like, through and through. Uh, he's got so much good things going for him, and I'm psyched to have him on the show. He just wrapped up Blavelt's Banks a couple weeks ago at Bolton Valley, which is an amazing event. Um, I hope some, some of you got to attend, uh, and I hope more of you attend next year. So for the snowboard audience that, uh, that we are trying to grow, and even if you're a skier, like this is just a really cool episode with some great insight into snowboarding, skating, his career, uh, being in Vermont, and just how he's kind of made it happen, especially having kids. Uh, I always wonder with athletes how how they make it all work together, not just on the business side, not just on the athlete side, but on the family side, because you're traveling a lot, you're away a lot. Like that, how, how, do you, how do you make all that work? That, that part seems insane to me. Um, we also have Marcus Kasten on the show. Marcus Kasten is an absolute legend and he's probably the most humble guy in the entire world. I try to give him a hundred compliments and every time I try to give him a compliment, he's like, nah, I'm just, I'm just, you know, it is, I don't know. It is what it is. And I, I actually really love that about him. Uh, we talk about his time in war at Warren Miller, how that's been the difference between doing YouTube releases for films and the way that Warren Miller does it, where it's like, Oh, there's a full tour. Um, and how he's much more partial to that. He talks about magazines. We, uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about blizzard as a company and the kind of skis that they make and how they fit what he does really well. Uh, and I, and I totally agree. Talk about some of his teammates. We, we, we really get into it here. And, uh, and I, I enjoyed the conversation thoroughly. It's my first time talking to Marcus, uh, we, we kind of ran around a bunch to make this one happen, uh, between him and I, and he's literally like flying to Alaska the next day, had just gotten home the day before and squeezed in this podcast with us. So again, Marcus, I appreciate it more than, you know, um, a couple things from this weekend. We were at wild corn, uh, at the lovely King Pine resort. It is a staple of new England and New Hampshire skiing. Um, it's this cute little resort that uh that's in new hampshire that's in eaton and uh we filmed some content we got to hang out with my good friend donnie pelletier uh who who is a legend if you don't know who donnie is uh look him up i you know it's nice when people come up to us and say hi but i I gotta tell you like i have never seen so many people come up to somebody with such 
a level of like, I can't believe you're here. You're really here in the flat. And he's hilarious. I, uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things. We did a little mini live podcast there uh, as well as shot a bunch of content. So you'll see that coming out on the YouTube channel. So be sure to subscribe to that because there is like constant stuff, including these episodes um, being recorded this week's episode, both versions, both episodes, both interviews will be available on the YouTube uh, so that you can watch in your living room. You can watch on your laptop. You can watch it while you're at work, while you're supposed to be working. Um, but really you're listening to us. So I think that that's really cool. And, uh, and I'm psyched to keep growing it. Uh, we have a couple ad reads for today before we actually get into things. Uh, first is our friends at Rumple. Uh, Rumple makes some amazing products in, uh, puffy blankets, um, basically like these microfiber towels, which I can tell you are amazing because I used them in the sauna yesterday. Uh, and usually when I use like a towel in a sauna, it becomes like this gross rag of just sop, sopping wet sweat situations. Cause I, if you don't know this about me, I like to battle people in the sauna. Like, and what that means is I like to look them in the face and uh, stay in there as long as possible until I know that I broke them. Um, and Rumpel is actually now pushing that even further because uh, those towels are great. I just run it while I'm in the sauna. Um, obviously, they're good for other things. For those of you that are not psychopaths, they're just great for having in your car, jumping in the river, getting a quick dry off, and kind of moving on. Um this is kind of their staple product in the puffy blanket. Uh, it's great. Again, just the kind of thing that you need if you're out camping, if you're out in the woods, if you're just sitting around a campfire, but you're getting a little cold, um, especially during these spring nights. Rumple makes an awesome puffy blanket. And, uh, and the stuff is great. Like, I mean, look at this. Look at the packaging on this, too. Like, they are... It, it's rad. I mean, you got to get yourself some of these. They also are running... A Rumple by Bob Ross collab on the site, which is incredible. If you look behind me on the screen, like, look at that. <laughs> it's a wig and all. Um, so be sure to go to rumple.com. That is R-U-M-P-L.com. Ethan, do we have a promo code for these guys? What's the, what's the promo code? Out of bounds, get you 15% off on your purchase. Um, so go do that. Why wouldn't you? This is an opportunity to get deals. People like deals. 15% off on Rumple products on their website. Um, they even make these cute little blanket koozie things, and those are those are amazing, even for, like, little gifts and stuff. So go to www.rumple.com. Use promo code OUTOFBOUNDS to save 50%, 15% off on your purchase. Uh, and, uh, and who do we got next? We got Sawatch Hemp up next, yeah? Sawatch Hemp uh, has been a sponsor of the show for a long time now. Obviously, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you're probably like, yes, we know, CBD. But Sawatch has expanded their product offerings. There's a ton of new stuff available on their website, including Sawatch sticks, which I am now uh, <laughs> I'm very into, uh, to say the least. Uh, both Ethan and Adam have been picking on me for how into these things I am. For those of you that are trying to stop smoking weed, stop smoking cigs, uh, that's actually a really cool alternative option um, for you. Um, in addition to that, they make some of the best health products that are out there. Um, they make these tinctures that will make you feel amazing. It's part of, It should become part of your daily routine. Uh, they also have merch on the site. They also have this CBD-infused olive oil that looks absolutely insane. 
Um, and yeah, check out sowatchhemp.com and use promo code out of bounds to save 15% off on your purchase of some CBD products. I mean, look at this stuff. There's so much. The salves are great. I switch up every week between calling them salves and salves. Um, they also have some pre prepackaged options in uh, the, Ethan, scroll back up, in the, scroll down a little, <laughs> in the mountain pack, uh, which has basically like their ionized water solution, uh, CBG, mountain, the gels, which are like basically if you want to take CBD in a gel form. And then they also have the 1500 level, which is like the top, top super concentrate CBD. Uh, available as well. And again, promo code out of bounds for 15% off on your purchase. Um, all right. That's basically it. Long intro today. Um, maybe, I don't even know. Uh, we should just talk about the YouTube real quick. Like that's where we want to be, uh, going forward. Like we're going to keep pushing that envelope more and more. So we appreciate new subscribers. We appreciate you guys engaging with that content. Um, and I can't tell you, like, for anybody that's engaged with the show over the years, even if it's just on social, the, uh, it means a lot. So I appreciate it. Um, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, the whole bit. And now let's get into the episode first with Jake Blavelt. Introduce yourself, tell people a little about yourself, and then we can go from there. All right. Uh, yeah, my name's Jake Blavelt. And uh, I live in Waterbury Center, Vermont, and I also spend a lot of time out in Glacier, Washington, riding Mount Baker. Sick. Uh, yeah. Um, how many times as a kid did somebody, or even as an adult, do people screw up your last name and the pronunciation of it? Oh, all the time. There's actually, I don't know if you've seen it, it's uh, a forum video. I'm blanking on the name of the forum video. I think it was that actually that the forum video and we were in japan for one of the movie tours and they were trying to pronounce my last name <laughs> and there's l's and yeah they have tough time with l's anyway and then <laughs> name is a hard name and so that was the intro to my video part is this uh japanese guy trying to say my last name and it's pretty hilarious he just butch butchered it maybe the best i've ever heard but yeah it's pretty common it gets butchered and it's no offense taken yeah that's amazing um let me ask you, why, why are you back in Vermont? I know you were, you were born in Waterbury Center, and that's kind of where you grew up, and then you left for a while. I think you said 10 years or something like that. I was reading an interview. Um, why did you decide to move back? Why did you decide to make Vermont home for you and your family? Um, well, yeah, like I said, I'm originally from Waterbury Center, Vermont, and uh, it's just it feels like home back here, and we've got my folks live here as well. My wife's uh, mom lives here uh, and we wanted to start a family ourselves. And it was just, it, it makes sense to kind of start for us to start a family around our extended family. And uh, it kind of, it takes a village, especially when you have three of them like we do. So being able to pass them off to Nana and grandpa and grandma and just have the whole uh, help network was really crucial. And then just Vermont's, it's where my heart is, where my wife's heart is. And we just, we love it here. It's home. Yeah. It's funny. I talked to Steven Nyman last week, um, who also has three or four kids. Um, and they're all running around like 
like crazy during the interview and like he's like yeah. I thought I'd have a nanny this morning and I don't have a nanny this morning and I have nobody to take care of the kids so he's like turning on bubble guppies during the interview and yeah, like he's like feeding exactly. them snacks and all this stuff I know dude it's so funny we were supposed to have school for our oldest she's four uh, but she's got that cold that I kind of have as well and so we can't send her into school and so yeah our child care was botched for today as well but luckily we have a little apartment up here that I can sneak away to and my wife's just fending them off. <laughs> What's the age breakdown? It's uh, Bodhi is our youngest. He was uh, he is six months, and then uh, Amelia is in the middle. She's two years old, and Nella is four years old. Okay, cool, awesome. That's yeah. uh, that's a tight group. My my family is actually pretty similar. Like we have like there's four of us. Um, I have three younger siblings, and it's like. There's the biggest gap is between me and my the next closest sibling. It's like three years, but then it's like yeah. you know, really 20, 21, 22. Like everybody's Not like really right in right. a row. Like it's just I don't know how my parents did it. Like that sounds yeah. but I think after me they were like, Oh, let's let's just chill out for a second here. For real. So you said you're the oldest? I'm the oldest, yeah. Four. Yeah. Yeah, must have never been a dull moment in that household. Oh no, for sure. And especially when you gotta go to like do stuff and like my family is in the outdoor industry and like doing anything with four people with six people really is uh, insane. And you guys have five and it's going to be, yeah. I know my wife and I just uh, succumbed to the minivan. (laughs) What'd you get? (laughs) What kind of minivan did you get? We we haven't got it yet, but we, we placed an order. We're going to get a Sienna man. (laughs) Oh man. That's when you know life is changing is when you switch. (laughs) We constantly told ourselves like, no, we won't be those people. But then we actually rented one when we were out in (laughs) Seattle to get up to Glacier. And because it just made sense to rent a minivan. Uh, And we only had it for two days. But we're like, damn, this is nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. I feel like everybody says the same thing. And they're just like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then it happens. totally function over fashion at this point it just made life so much easier we got to put our <clears throat> our egos aside and just do it. <laughs> if uh can i like why why a minivan over something like i don't know like i feel like a lot of people are moving into like van lifestyles and those are really easy to kind of convert over into like a right. multi-use vehicle right like that's a good question it. yeah you're right on it uh, we tried to order a sprinter we were going to get one no of the kidding. passenger van, like the smallest sprinter, most compact. It's like the 144 inch wheelbase, whatever, no lifted roof or anything. No like camper conversion. It was just going to be the passenger with the four bench seats. We were going to take the back bench seat out so we can cram shit in the back and then have all the kids in there. But dude, you can't get a sprinter. You can't even order one right now. Yeah. It's like the world is crazy and supply and demand and it's funny, like I'm the one barking down this the car salesman. <laughs> like, Dude, call me back. Normally it's the other way around. But uh yeah, so we can't get a a cool van. So yeah. we're getting a minivan. Sienna's yeah. pretty cool. You can you can trick that thing out. If Pimp Ride still existed, I'm sure that, that would be uh that would yeah, be on right. the front runner get for yeah. lifted and yeah, right. Yeah, pro snowboarder Jake Blowelt uh sets up his Sienna. <laughs> get like a fish tank in the middle or something um uh so i i want to ask you some questions about the event that you just had blavelt banks uh just finished up i wanted to do the interview beforehand but it's all good uh covid kind of murdered that but uh 
talk to me a little bit about the event, why you do the event, um, <laughs> what the idea was going into it, and and how this and how it went. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so we hold the event at Bolton Valley. Um, that's right in between Waterbury and Burlington. It's actually the resort that I grew up and learned how <clears throat> to ride at. And uh, so it feels cool to have everything kind of come full circle. And I've been out West for so long. And then to come back to the resort, little mom and pop, like independently owned, amazing resort where, yeah, I can come back to and kind of give back to the community that has given me so much over the years. Um, and so, and I really enjoy bank slaloms as well. I've, mm. you know, raced in like Baker banked and the rat race for drink water and a couple others. And so I just randomly like cold called, uh, Bolton and was like, dude, you guys want to have a bank slalom at your resort? I'd love <laughs> to host it. And, and they've been so receptive and so, just so helpful in setting it all up and uh and so it's amazing to be able to bring the whole you know east coast it's really a lot of new england we even get some people coming from out west out uh for the event it's just amazing to get everyone together especially this year after covid it's like you realize like how important it is to be able to bring the community together and just be together and snowboard and share the love of snowboarding and being together and we're all healthy for the most part and not getting bombed and it's just it's we just are so grateful to be where we are and then at the same time we can raise money for a good cause and so the first year we hold it held it in 2020 right before the pandemic set in we uh, just donated to protect our winters. And then uh, we had to take a year off last year due to COVID, it just didn't feel right. And so this was the second year we've held it and we managed to raise a little over 12 grand for the uh, for funding for a skate park, a proper concrete okay. skate park in Waterbury. And so, yeah, cause we don't really have a, we've got a pretty dilapidated uh, skate park down the road and it's kind of getting sketchy and towards this last leg. And so to be able to get everyone together and raise money for an awesome cause, it just, it's a, it feels amazing. Yeah. How, how important is like having a skate? Because like, we just got a new one in town here. Like, I feel like skate parks are starting to pop up and get redone more and more. How important yeah. do you feel like having a good skate park is for the culture of skateboarding and for snowboarding going forward, right? Because I think that's where, I don't know, as a kid, like I rode BMX bikes a ton and like having a skate park and a place to go where you're just like, I'm going to hang out here for the day. It was yeah. so important to me. So I imagine yeah. for you, it's kind of the same. And now you get the opportunity to kind of give back to that. Yeah, exactly. Like I started skateboarding before snowboarding just because skating is so much more accessible than snowboarding. You don't need a pass and all the gear. You just need to skate, really. Yeah. And so that's kind of what led me into riding boards was skateboarding. But when I was growing up skating in Waterbury, it's like we would go to the town clerk office, but only after hours because we'd always get kicked out. Right. There, there's one curb, you know, we get kicked out of there. Everywhere we wanted to skate, we had to do after hours, which wasn't really working. Um, and so, you know, now with skateboarding being so much more mainstream, it seems like finally people have caught on to like, oh yeah, it's not just a bunch of like, losers and druggies and people you know the the normal stereotype there used to be with skaters it's like no these guys are like athletes and they want to 
skate and just to be able to give kids something to do instead of just sitting on their ass or on their phones or, you know, on their devices, I think it's really important for the health of the community and it will bring a lot of people into Waterbury who will therefore then, you know, go down, go to the restaurant down the road and it's just going to bring more life to an already lively community. And so I think that it just kind of sets the community and the next generation up for success, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think having that in a community is a huge thing. And and you're right. I think that stigma of like skateboarders are just like kind of dirt bags. Like it, it's yeah. not, it's going away more and more and you're starting to see people understand it as like part of culture. And I think people dress like skaters even when they don't skate. And I'm guilty of this too. Like I, as a 27 year old, am starting to skateboard now. Like, right. and it's because like all I do is pretty much watch skateboard videos and wish yeah. I skateboarded from a younger age. So it's, it's so, it's so bizarre. I think people are starting to pick it up more and more as like, I don't know, as a thing that they're like, all right, I really want to focus in on this. No doubt. It's like, it's an Olympic sport now. It's like, you can't really argue. It's not a fad. Yeah. Like people call it like it's, it's here to stay and it's awesome. Yeah, I actually I was watching Godspeed by Devante Jolly, and I don't know if you saw this or not. It's it's a incredible skateboard video, and it's part of like the reason that it's so good is because they have these interactions with people while they're on the street that are like, "Look, we're doing the same." They're like talking to people that own property, and they're talking to people that are like lawyers and you know accountants, and they're like, "Look, we're the same as you. Like, we're just trying to get like we're doing a job. Like, this is what we're doing." And this is just the career path that we've chosen. And I, I just thought that that mix yeah. of like incredible skating and having that actual conversation was like, that's, that's what made it for me. Yeah, that's sick. I would like to see that. That's, that's awesome. You should. I'll send it to you after. It's, it's incredible. It's like, it's probably the best skate video that I've seen in a long time. Um, can I, so yeah. what, why Bolton Valley? I know it's where you grew up and I feel like, and, and I don't want to phrase this question like I don't think it's the best choice. I actually think Bolton Valley is the perfect choice to do an event like this mm-hmm. um, because yeah. of the way the culture is there. And if people haven't, I'm like trying to not talk it up too, too much so that people aren't like everybody go to Bolton Valley like, and then blow up the scene <laughs> there. But like it's it's yeah. incredible. Like the scene there, it, even in the summer, like I spend a lot of time riding mountain bikes and like they are in a totally different world than everybody else. When it comes to yeah. that kind of thing, they're like, we're going to put the most fun shit here. Like, that's what our right. goal is, is like, we're just here to have fun and we're going to put stuff for people that actually ride and that actually ski, snowboard, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. How do I answer this without being too negative about other resorts in the area? <laughs> oh, I have questions about other resorts in the area, too. So don't yeah. like, don't worry. We could be negative in like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I think that just Bolton, you know, like I said, it's where I grew up riding and it's great to have everything come full circle. But yeah, like you said, it's just they do everything right. They do everything for the right reason. It's like, no, not to make a bunch of money or get a, a bunch of this or that. It's like, no, we're going to set up some sick mountain bike trails for the summer because that's what people want. You know, like they took the uh, what was it, talent skate park ramps and they reuse those and set up an indoor facility for skating and all that in their parking lot and i don't know bolton is just every time i get done riding at bolton whether it's riding my snowboard or snow skating which very few resorts 
allow <laughs> in the area, I think is fucking awesome. It's like every time I get done at Bolton, I'm like, I have a really good taste left in my mouth. I'm like, dude, I want to come back. I want more of that. Like they have night riding too. It's just, it's just good vibes up there. Good people doing it for the right reasons. Whereas you go to some other places and it's like you sit on the access road up to these other resorts in the area. And it's like, you sit on the access road for two hours, fight like bumper to bumper traffic, which should be like a 15 minute drive. Then you get up there and you're just battling these pricks all day long in these enormous lift lines. You get fucking two runs all day on like, I don't know, with a bunch of, with just overcrowded runs. (laughs) You're like, dude, what am I doing? I don't like, if this was how it was when I was learning how to ride i don't even think i ride because it doesn't even feel like the same activity i just like was around a bunch of people in line all day but it doesn't that doesn't happen at bolton so if that answers your question it does and and i think the vibe at at bolton is is really it's it's it like it really is there's like you mentioned there's night night riding that's that's great in the summer it's like you can go mountain biking until 7 p.m there and like they'll lift and like it's totally fair game and it creates mm-hmm. a sense of community around what they do. And I think that that part adds to it a bit as well. Yeah. Definitely. And it, it's, you know, privately owned, independently owned by the Delorier family. And they're, they're awesome people. They're not owned by some big conglomerate um, yeah. out of, out of towners, you know, it's like they're Vermonters <laughs> doing it for the right reason. It's like, it's just, it's good vibes up there. Yeah. I think everybody's kind of, see, there's literally a whole, instagram account that's blown up this season for lift lines specifically for epic stuff obviously but Dude, yeah why did it get so bad like, uh, why is it so bad? well i think everybody wanted to go right like i mean i've been in the shop for a while and like i can tell you like our rentals were up like 200 percent or something like that yeah so, like right. new people in the sport that part's rad but like you said right. i think it's a huge detriment to the sport that people are just waiting in lines over and over and over and over again, because like, then it's not fun. Like that's like going to, and then we have like things that tried to get introduced, like fast pass and stuff like that. Like that, not that it was Epic that did that, but like, are we becoming like universal studios? Like what's like, what, like what is going on? uh, Yeah. But I'm really torn because I agree. I think I would love it if everybody could get up there, but it's like, if everybody's up there, it's not the same deal. And so, yeah, I'm really torn about it. It's like, if you go back to really expensive passes, like over two grand, that whittles out a lot of people, but then it becomes like even more of an elitist thing, which I don't think is right. So yeah, I don't know really how to feel about it. All I know is that like, it just kind of sucks going up there a lot of times. Like if if it snows like an inch or more, that's considered a pow day and <laughs> dude, like you're better off hiking. Yeah, like a lot for of sure. Go, a lot of people go to the Waterbury Dam, which is like a hundred feet of vertical, just yeah. all open face. And yeah. they pow surf that on oh, busy yeah. days. Yeah. They Brennan know, Sauer like, showed me like, and I was just like, oh, this is rad. This is like, this is where <laughs> Yeah. This is. But at least you're like keeping busy and not waiting in line and you're hiking and earning your turns. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, you talk about it forever and I don't really there i don't have a solution for it but uh it's just i think there is a solution the solution is like limiting access like you got to be like okay look we're full for today like you can't sell 2.1 million epic passes up from like seven hundred thousand last year and then go oh 
<laughs> there's more people right. here. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, right. just limit it a little more. Like, Icon Resorts seem to have less issues with this. Not that they don't, they have their own issues, but it's mm-hmm. it's just in a different place. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to spend this whole time talking about Epic, but it's okay. like, it's, it's a mess. I do have a question, though, about another resort uh, and a couple of resorts, one that's very close to you and a couple that are all over the place. There's three, mm-hmm. I think, in total. Yeah. Why do places like Mad River not allow snowboarding still? Like, it's 2022. Yeah, what is shit. going on? Like, can we just have this conversation? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I don't even really think about Mad River. Like, they're over in the valley, and yeah. like, there's sh- sugar bushes right there. Sugar bush is dope. Um, and Mad River, I don't know. It's just like it's never on my mind. Like, I don't. I don't think about them because they don't want us and we don't want them, I guess. is what it comes down <laughs> if to. If you're not but, wanted, why would you? Yeah. It's like, I just, yeah. But uh, it's weird. It's very weird that there's still that segregation in 2022. Like, yeah. How many other, is there Deer Al- Valley? Alta, Alta and Alta. Deer Valley. Alta is the tr- one that bums me out, I think, the most um because it's sick like it's a ton it would be fun. sick to ride there yeah, yeah for yeah. sure and like you get people coming over from snowbird like making that kind of trek over and riding down for one run but like it's not it's not yeah. acce- and they'll let you do that but it's not accessible from the lift yeah. at all which is like uh, it, it just seems I, so <laughs> dated yeah I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there for Mad River to do to open it up and make some fuss about it. Like, you know, it's been all these years and we've had it separate and now we're going to open it up because it's 2022 and they could make a lot of fuss and it would be really cool. But I don't know, for the time being, I just don't even think about them like they can have it. (laughs) If that's what they want. But it seems like like from a skier's perspective, it doesn't seem like the kind of place that would be like wanting to have exclusion it, it seems yeah. like a cool place that people yeah. want to go hang out at. but then yeah. they're like oh no snowboarders and to me i'm like you're cutting out half of the possible people that could ride at your mountain like right why? and then like a lot of pro skiers or at least the pro skiers i know they look at snowboarders for style a hundred percent and so it's like yeah i don't know i wonder who's in charge at mad river what's really going on well hopefully they're listening and uh and maybe (laughs) not that this is going to be the thing that changes anybody's mind but like let's stir we can stir the pot a little bit um (laughs) it seems like you've done a really good job at holding on to sponsors and keeping sponsors happy and and being just a good representative of the brands that you work for can you talk to me a little bit about that and how you've managed these relationships over time especially as your careers kind of progressed you have kids like things are busy you know and every year i'm sure it seems to get busier and busier you've had a pro model snowboard since like with ride since like what 2007 maybe even earlier like the earliest one i could find graphically was 2007 i think that sounds about right yeah 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 man i think like initially um i was on with forum forum snowboards and forum was great um they were amazing i had a lot of good friends awesome team and they were doing it doing it right but then they were acquired by burton and burton's an amazing company don't get me wrong like they're 
they're local jake and donna like jake was an amazing dude and donna is awesome um my my mom actually used to do uh their landscaping their flowers <laughs> and so we would always be invited to their parties so I, like burton's just part of the scene here anyway uh but when burton took over for him i could just see that the product was really going downhill it was like they weren't putting any effort into making the product better and that's a lot of what i enjoy doing with the brands that i work with is working on product development i'm not so much into like graphics or colorways or styles you know like i i kind of struggle with that stuff and i'll be the first to admit but when it comes to like working on camber profiles or side cut or you know just shapes of a snowboard or binding straps any of that stuff i really enjoy it like i authentically enjoy it and so i think that the brands they value that in me and and i i like it too and so after i left forum i made a conscious effort to join brands that make good product and are are authentic brands um and so you know where i landed i ended up landing on my feet with with ride who's been amazing since the beginning they gave me a pro model right off the bat and the berserker now with ride is like it sells really well every year and it's funny like i've got extra berserkers every year and i give them out to select people i know who I know can handle the berserker. Cause if you're not riding the berserker, the berserker will ride you. Yeah. But it's like, I give it to certain people who are chargers, like say up at Baker and dude, they're like, dude, this is the best board I've ever ridden. Like, where yeah. has this thing been? And that feels so good to hear that. Cause that's what I really enjoy doing is making better product for brands. And so, yeah, with ride and then with Smith, uh, Smith is amazing and, obviously north face like north face is killing it they make insane product future light was really cool to be a part of to launch that um help launch that and develop that and i think that was a, a huge step for them getting away from gore-tex and just going with their own material so just just working with brands who are in it for the right reasons doing it authentically and that give me opportunity to develop product and then also to uh, work on my own projects my own film projects because it's like snowboarding is a individual sport you know or activity lifestyle and so that was one thing i struggled with a lot with on forum was like we were a team it's like right you you're part of this team and you guys are going here to do that and there to do that and like they were also telling me to like develop an image like grow dreadlocks and you know get the whole hippie vibes like dude my hair's not thick enough for dreadlocks and i can't i can't do this and like what and i was so impressionable at that age and it's just really it's kind of a weird vibe and so to be with all of these brands i'm with now with darn tough as well being such a local company i've worn their socks ever since the, their beginning um it's just it's it feels right it feels really good and the fact that they allow me room to spread my wings and trust me to do my own thing i think it's a pretty nice symbiotic relationship yeah yeah and before we kind of move on to a couple of a couple of the other brands i want to talk about the berserker because it's been in the line for so long so i want to know first of all ride has gone through so many changes i feel like over the course of the last 15 years there's like so many i almost want to put them into 
timelines, like where it's like, okay, yeah. we're doing this. They were really cool. And then they were f- super focused on bindings. And then they came out with like slime wall. And then they came out with like all right. the stuff that they're doing now. And like, they're super focused on the pig series, but across that whole time, the berserker has been a standard in their line every single year. So is there, is there a year when you were like, this is the best berserker that exists. Is there one that's a favorite, even if it's not the one that's the latest, because I feel like that's the easy answer is like, Oh yeah, it is, man. I mean, I hate to say the easy answer, (laughs) but it really is like this one within the last it's next year's, which I've been riding this year. And the one that's currently out for people to buy now, these last two models, the the one that people will be able to buy next year as well. And I, I don't think we plan to change it for the following year. Anyway, it's just gone through minor tweaks every two or three years since the beginning. And we keep dialing it in that much more. And it's always trying to balance because I like riding powder, obviously, but I also come from like a hard pack East Coast half pipe scene. And so I'm always trying to find the best of both worlds where it's like you, you can ride that board in the pipe, you can hold rail go through chop, super responsive, real twitchy, stable tail. It's directional, but you can still ride it switch. Like don't let the directional name fool you. Um, And so like the last tweaks we put in, we put in just a little bit of taper and that little bit of taper along with a little different uh, side cut profile somehow it just like it clicked and what we do with ride is we do blind board tests which are uh michael chilton the board engineer he'll come up he'll know the direction that i want to take it we'll agree on a direction to go and then he'll come out with four or five white blank boards and he'll send them to me and have me take them up to the hill you take two runs on each board on the same run so it ends up taking better part of the day and you're not allowed to take the board out of the wrapper and look down the camber profile or any of that. You just strap it on and go. And then you write down your feedback. And then eventually you're like, damn, board C was the shit and board D sucked. And then you send all of that info back to Michael and the ride guys. And they're like, well, this is why you like that. And so there's no preconceived notions with the blind board test. And uh, you learn a lot. And I think that that really helps my snowboarding too, is knowing what you like, what you don't like. It gives you confidence when you're going in two features. You're like, dude, my tail's going to hold up on this landing. Like, because I know the profile in that tail. I know that it's all there. Instead of like, I remember when I was on forum, it was when banana was really coming in. Oh, yeah. So many lines I was coming down, like sick line, sick line. This is going to be a dope shot. And then like mandatory cliff exit, land off the cliff and wheelie out and botch the whole shot. And it's like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, and you got, I had to blame it on the board. Like I squared up on that. And so just little things like that, you know, knowing the board inside and out, it gives you a lot of confidence in, in your riding, in my riding. So when you're building a board and you're kind of going through these tests, how much of the consideration that you're selling it to retail goes into your head? Or is it just like, I'm, I'm building this board for what I like and that's what matters to me. 
because I feel uh, like there's a big distinction between you riding a board and somebody yeah. who's buying your board off the shelf. Right. And I, yeah, I would no, hope. Yeah, that's a good question. It's true. Uh, Brian Knox, actually, he phrased it really well back when I was uh, on forum. He was my team manager back then. And I would always get the forum boards like beefed up, stiffer uh, flex profile for me. And it wasn't the stock board. And he was like, yeah, it's like the motocross racers. They're not on stock bikes. They're on juiced up bikes out there. And that's what you need to be on too. And so initially, like for the first five or six pro models on the berserker with ride they were different than what i was giving the consumer and i always had a goal of trying to make the berserker the same as what the general public was offered um but now i feel like my style has changed a little bit over the years i like a little softer board and um and so therefore we've been able to make i like the stock berserker that is offered to everybody right now. Um, but I will say that like, if you're, it's a, it's a very advanced board, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, if you're not riding it or you're tired or whatnot, it's going to ride you and you're going to just get tossed all around the mountain. But that's the kind of board that I like to be on. And that's the board that I want to be able to give back to the industry. And so it's like, you watch, most of the guys on ride right now if they're in powder or like all-terrain stuff they're on the berserker and that just kind of solidifies like dude we did it like we made the board that other team riders want to be on and hopefully other real good chargers want to be on as well yeah how how have you felt so rides kind of gone through a little bit of resurgence lately with the pig series stuff and i feel like that's brought them almost back into the mix not that they were ever dead or whatever but it's brought a board that people walk into stores and they have nothing else in their mind other than like they'll literally hang up the phone they'll call and be like hey do you have a war pig no yeah. cool, bye you know like it's that kind right. of situation yeah. how do you feel about a board yeah. like that starting to get like that shape of board starting to get so much clout in the industry because it's not just ride it's it's a lot of brands too that are starting to make these like fat profile front end boards that are somewhat directional, but like also twins, like they, they make right. so many different variations of this series now and are doubling down on it. How, how do you feel about that kind of shaping going forward in snowboarding? You know, yeah. I think that they, they hit it on the head when the pig came out and I think they completely succeeded in making a board that had a lot, has a lot of hype and people really enjoy riding. I think like the general public really likes that board. And I, how do I say this? I need to, <laughs> I, I like, I like my board better, but there's a place for the pig definitely. But like I said, like I, I have size nine feet so I can fit into a narrower board and I know that I like narrow boards because it gives you that quick, responsive edge to edge. And we also make the Berserker in wide for anybody who wants, you know, has wide We're selling feet. a lot of but, Berserkers out of this episode. We're selling tons of Berserkers right now. Yes, yeah, good. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I think there's a place for pigs, obviously. But for me personally and my riding style, I like, I, I don't follow the hype. I follow what I like to ride and how I like to ride. And 
luckily for me, I'm able to develop my own snowboard with one of the best snowboard brands out there. And so I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, and other people, maybe they don't know what they like. And so they're just going with the hype and you can't argue with that either. And I think that they're going to have fun on it regardless. But for me, yeah, I like a board that's a little more traditional um, in shape, but then it's got all those little tweaks that I've been able to put into it with the engineers over the years. So if that answers yeah. your question. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what is this is one of the last things i'll ask you and then i'll let you get out of here but what has gone into the longevity of your career i think you see so many people come and go in this industry and you've been a staple throughout for, for lack of a better term throughout the industry for so long it feels like not to call you old every time i bring up this conversation i'm like <laughs> yeah. i don't want to call you old because you're not no, old but oh, good. No, yeah <laughs> but how, how have you made a career that's as brutal on the body like snowboarding mm -hmm. last this long yeah um well th thank you for that man i i appreciate it um and you know i always was one of the young kids i was always the young kid you know i started like riding professionally when i was 16 traveling with the forum guys with like devin walsh and jp walker and I always considered myself the young guy, but now I'm the old guy and that's all right <laughs> because I get to teach some of the young guys what's up. Like my nephew, Mason Lemry, he's killing it and it feels so good to be able to take him under the wing and show him like Devin and those guys did to me. But uh, to answer your question, what goes into the longevity, I think is there were times couple like three four five years ago when i was feeling really burnt out like what am i doing like i almost didn't enjoy it i was just jaded kind of um but then did a little soul searching and really looked deep and was like dude i'm the, i'm so lucky to be able to do this and why do I do it? I do it for the camaraderie with like everyone I get to hang out with out there, the filmers, photographers, other riders, all the people you meet around the world. It's like all you should, all you should feel is fortunate that you are in this position to do what you do um, and feel, feel fortunate and also be passionate about what you're doing. I am, I'm passionate about trying to push snowboarding, but even more so just being in the outdoors in like beautiful mountains and be able to being able to be in places in the world where maybe oftentimes no one else has ever been. That's like, that's what I'm passionate about is, is being able to, to push snowboarding and, and be, yeah, just, just to just feeling, feeling fortunate and where to also, with longevity is I always tried to take care of my body. Like I, I got a really bad uh, bulge disc like maybe 10 years ago now. And that got me into a lot of body care. Cause like when you're young, you don't really have to take care of your body as much. But then with that injury, I learned that like, you're not going to be able to do this forever, but you can do it a hell of a lot longer if you do take care of your body. And so luckily I, was raised in a family that taught me to eat good food, which I think is first and foremost, like 
all about your health, having good mental clarity, like good mental state and eating good food. And then also stretching, balancing strength with flexibility has always been a main concern of mine. And so like, yeah, in the preseason I do, I work out like, I'm not like proud to say it. I don't want to be like a jock, but I, and it, that's the job part is like when you, when I go into the gym, I, and I'm getting strong, I'm vision, like I'm picturing how hard I'm going to be able to charge that preseason in the season that's going to come. And so, yeah, I think just like being passionate, fortunate, taking good care of your body. That's what's led me to still be here. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. funny. Ahmet Dadali said something similar last week where he was kind of alluding to freestyle skiing and free ride skiing being like, uh, we hate working out. We don't want to be jocks. We don't want to be athletes, right? right. We, we want to be skiers and riders and we want to push the envelope and just be that counterculture. And snowboarding has a lot of that too. Yeah, it's but he was like, lately, we've all smartened up like and we've been like, oh, if we want to be here, like, you see Tanner Hall in the gym, you see Nyman all shredded. You have to do these kind of things if you want to make a career out of this for a long period of time, because it actually is it's it's legitimately body armor. For, yeah, oh, for sure. You like maybe back when it was all starting back in the 90s and everyone was just doing little indies and tindies and whatnot. <laughs> like, yeah, you could kind of get away with it with the counterculture stuff. But now it's like people are doing triple corks and people are charging standing. gnarly big mountain lines and like it's fucking gnarly now. And so you got to like tune up your body or you're not going to hold up. And yeah. yeah, everyone's smartened up luckily and i think they'll be better off for it but like i always say like snowboarding and everything that's like when i'm strapped in isn't much of a job like sometimes the travel is but we're fortunate to be able to travel but like the job part is maintaining my body but then it's like that job doesn't really that doesn't suck because you you're so much better off just in life in general when you have a, a healthy body so yeah yeah that job part is just keeping the body tuned. La last thing I'll ask you here, because you actually, you mentioned it and it was one of the things I've kind of been thinking about a lot. What does good food mean? What does that mean to you? What, because there's so many kind of fad diets out right now and that's a big push. It's like people are focused on carnivore diets and keto diets <clears throat> and this diet right. and that diet. And people get this weird perception of what good food actually is. So can you speak on that a little bit and what, what you mean when you say that? Yeah, good food for me, I think, uh, is just whole food. Like, I'm not a vegetarian by any means. We eat good meat, whether it's the meat that we raised. We raise uh, chickens for meat. Um, and then my folks have a bunch of hens for eggs, you know, so getting, like, all local meat. My cousins raise cows and pigs. And not like we eat a bunch of meat, but when we do eat meat it's really good meat and then obviously lots of vegetables and i think just trying to eat everything that's good whole organic local food which a lot of people don't have access to unfortunately yeah. we're incredibly fortunate especially up here in northern vermont in the summertime in the growing months it's like there's no 
there there are better places to be for good food but we're really fortunate in that regard so that's just it's n- not like pigeonholing yourself with like a keto diet or this or that diet it's just like eating good whole food yeah that's what it means to me. yeah. yeah makes a big difference and i lots think the water too like drink lots of water yeah <laughs> I'm terrible at drinking water. I need to, this is one of the things that I need to work on so aggressively. Yeah. A lot of people are like, I'm like, dude, you haven't drank water all day. How are you still standing? Like I'm like <laughs> pissing all the time, but it's because I drink a lot of water, you know, and I'm just eating food. Yeah. I think that's, it. that's, that's how I like it. But uh, I'm not like super strict by any means. It's just trying to eat good, healthy food. Yeah, there's, there's a huge resurgence for getting local food and getting quality food and nutrition into your body lately. And that's, that's one of the things I think that's, that's come back that I'm so here for it. it, It's the, it's one of the most important things that people can actually pay attention to. It's funny. I, I joke around and I I tweeted the other day, something about like the reason that I do hard outdoor activities all the time is because I want to go and eat Taco Bell every once in a while. But it's like, (laughs) and here I am preaching about like eating good food, but I, but it's, it's all about balance. Sometimes you got to give into that, you know, it's, I have to give into that shit. Yeah, exactly. And people are in really difficult situations where they've got like three kids to feed and they're on a strapped budget and you can go to Mickey D's and get everyone fed for 10 bucks. Yeah, right. It's It's hard to preach this when there's that available. Yeah, like I'm not trying to be closed minded about that because I do realize like where a lot of people are struggling that way. Um, So it would be nice if we could make good whole organic local food more accessible for the general public. I think that we'd have a lot fewer problems therefore uh, in the community, but uh, it's, that's a, that's a, a bigger problem and a bigger subject to talk yeah. about. I think. Maybe not <laughs> our battle to fight right now. Yeah, right. We'll, we'll, we'll work on mad river and selling berserkers. Um, <laughs> where, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find you on social? Um, anything they want to learn more about you, all, all the good stuff. Um, yeah. Plug away, feel free. Yeah, man. I think just uh, Instagram is the best way uh, to follow me. Um, it's just Jake underscore Blavelt on Insta. Um, but uh, I'll be the first to admit, like I, we we try and be conscious also about like not always being on our devices in front of the kids, and mm-hmm. I'm always with the kids, and so it's really hard. Like these days, I struggle with it. Is like always posting, but then not always having your phone in front of the kids and whatnot, and. So I'll try and, and do the best I can to keep everyone uh, informed on what's going on. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, there are, how do I, I say this? It's funny. It's just like social was never a thing when I was starting snowboarding. It was like, yeah, you just focus on snowboarding and let everyone else do the 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 social media stuff or social media wasn't even a thing, but do all the branding and marketing and uh and now it's like when you're up on top of a line and you're just trying to focus but you gotta freaking click your gopro you gotta be taking shots and then you gotta post it right away and so i struggle with social a lot but uh long long answer um is yeah you can find it (laughs) you can follow what you want to show on social um thank you for doing this um and also thank you to people at dart tough for setting this up i wish we had done this in person but we got a fancy new studio these days so i figured we might as well use it and 
I'll come up there for a better reason, like well, ride bikes or snowboard. Hell or yeah, man. So, Hit me up. For sure. That sounds great. Thank you. Of course. Um, thank you for doing this. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. I'll send you everything once this is uh, ready to roll. Sounds good, man. You take care. Thank uh, you. All right, brother. Later. All right. Welcome to the middle of this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Jake Blabout. Uh, we are now transitioning into an episode with Marcus Caston. That is phenomenal. Uh, before we do that, we have a message from our friends at Fisher Skis. As you may or may not have heard, Pink Ski Gang has sort of gone away. And now we've moved into the new Ranger series, which features some of the most beautiful and simple looking skis I've seen in a very long time. I love this range and I'm psyched to see more of it coming. I also should mention that there's a new Ranger boot um, that features some polyurethane in it that is stiffer, much more burly. It's a boot that I skied in it on Saturday and I'm going to ski in it for the rest of the season and next year and hopefully beyond. Uh, the product is looking better and better and better every single year, especially that Alpine product, like that regular, like non-race product. They are building what could be a behemoth uh, in this category for the next few years. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more about this stuff, you can go to fishersports.com. Uh, you can also watch any of the reviews that we've put on YouTube. You can put it on the TikToks. We've talked about it. Um, obviously I'm skiing the Ranger 102 because that's the most versatile of all the skis. It's really for like, uh, I'm running it with a Mark Kingpin. It's kind of the, I don't know where I'm going to be skiing today or if I'm going to be touring or what I'm going to do. It's light enough. It's 2000 grams or so, depending on what size you're running. Um, I am like five eleven, six foot, six foot with shoes on. Uh, and I run the 183, uh, especially in New England. I think that's perfect. If you're out West, you may want to go a little longer because the ski does ski a tiny bit short. Um, but for New England, I think 183 uh, at my size is, uh, is great for most people. So once again, check out fishersports.com, new Ranger line, be on the lookout for that new Ranger boot. I uh, posted a little sneak peek on my Instagram the other day and, uh, and yeah, let's move into the episode with Marcus Kasten. Marcus, why don't you tell people who you are, tell people a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Cool. Um, yeah, my name is Marcus Kasten. Um, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, I'm 33 years old. My favorite color is white, <laughs> but not because of uh, the snow at all. It kind of just, I like the sound of it. Um, and... Yeah, I grew up ski racing here at Snowbird and um, transitioned to, I don't know, professional skiing or whatever you want to call it, taking lots of photos and now lots of videos and here we are. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know the journey has been, uh, you know, I haven't, it's, it's not gone the way I thought it was, but, you know, I don't know what I thought it'd be. But, uh, you know, it's it's going and I'm just rolling with it. And here we are. What were you hoping? Like, do, I know you just said you don't you don't know. But like, what, what was the goal? Like when you were like looking at a career, what were you thinking your ski career was going to be? Or did you not even think you were going to be in a career? In no, I don't know if I even thought it through that far. So, I, I mean, when I was ski racing and we go through every year, OK, what are your goals for, you know, this year and, and the next five years? And it's like. I was just never good at it. I always thought it was stupid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was just like, you, know, you can just do your best and kind of roll with the punches. So, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people, well, I guess I can't speak for other people, but um, this being a professional skier isn't necessarily exactly what I thought it would be. I thought it'd be a lot more skiing, you know, but it turns out there's not just like random professional Botox, like hanging out in the woods, just like snapping photos of you. It's a ski fly, you know, you got to like set that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the legwork is significantly know. more than maybe imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it? I mean, I guess that begs the question. Are you happy with what you have for a ski career? Like, I mean, you're killing it. I fucking see you everywhere. I feel like like every corner and literally it's taken a month to get you dialed in on getting this show. Like people want your attention, Marcus. So like, how, how do you feel it's going? Again, I apologize for that. I'm not, I'm not giving you shit. I promise. I don't care. Like it's, it's fine. It is what it is. Yeah. It's been one thing after another. I, I was in Switzerland, I think, when we first started talking, and then I came back. I've had two days, like, max, I don't know, four days in total in home in the last Jesus month Christ. and a half. It's been nuts. Um, but it's it's a good thing. You know, it's gotten harder. Um, I, yeah, it's gotten harder as I guess I get older. Like, when I was in my 20s, it was just sweet to live on the road all the time. Yeah. I'm still pretty good at it, living out of suitcase, but you know, now I enjoy being home for sure. So that's been a little bit harder, um, you know, that part of it, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going well. I'm, I'm happy, you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's turned out the way that I've like, I don't know what I thought it'd be, man. I really don't. <laughs> you know, I, be, I mean, what could be better? Like, I guess that's the question, right? What, what if you had a list of things that you currently could go and change about? Climate change was <laughs> less of a thing like 20 years ago, right? Right. Like, you know, when I grew up watching movies, it seemed like everybody was just flying helicopters for months. Right. And that would be sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I heard stories of you know guys 20 30 years ago making like 100 g's from poles and gloves um what you know like yeah i don't know like that would be sick (laughs) (laughs) oh you mean you're not making 200 grand in a pole and glove sponsor i do pretty you know lakey has been one of my oldest sponsors and i love them but yeah i'm not making 200 g's (laughs) but yeah you know it's uh you know, I think if I could, I've never gone to Haynes. Um, that's the place that I've always dreamt of going. Um, you know, I, I guess I still have goals and until I accomplish them, like, you know, it hasn't got, I don't know. It's going, I, you know, <laughs> I still have goals. So I got to, you know, finish it up here. Yeah. Do you, do you see like a trajectory to accomplishing those goals? <laughs> like, I guess it's like, it's, we could say all these things, but what's, oh, what is the plan for that kind of thing? Is my, is my mom t- feeding you these questions right now? <laughs> yes. Yes. I want to know, Marcus, <laughs> what is the plan? What are you going to do? Are you going to get a real job, Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really the goal Yeah, is to not have a real job. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, that would be tough. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I 
grew up ski racing. And so my experience in the backcountry has been pretty limited to the last really 10 years, you know, and the first, first bit of that was like pretty slow, you know, it takes time to learn. And, um, I feel like I'm pretty conservative. And so I just want to learn the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, you can get out there and just like get sandy, but you know, then you're really pushing your luck, I think. So, yeah. Uh, just taking it slow and, and learning, uh, you know, learning things every day you go out and, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to get into bigger mountains, more complex terrain, like learn how to move efficiently and all that stuff's really interesting, interesting to me right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I've skied a lot of resort in my life, a lot of groomers, a lot of moguls, a lot of hard pack, yep. um, you know, and a lot of powder too. So, to me right now, what really interests me in skiing is just kind of moving around in the mountains, being safe and efficient. Right. That's a good goal. That's like, that's great. That's amazing. Um, one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about, because I know how busy you are and because I know how many people are asking for your attention is, do you, do you get burnt out? Like, are, do you feel burnt out? Is that a thing that, that you struggle with? And if it is, how, how do you find yourself fighting that? I don't know if burnt out is the right word, but exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I just, uh, like I said, I just, I was in Engelberg and then I went straight from there to Jackson and then straight from the San Juans and then just straight from there to, um, just filmed a week with Warren Miller. I've had one, two, two nights in my own bed and I'm going to Alaska tomorrow. Um, you know, so it's just kind of like, um, and it doesn't stop there either, you know? So it's like home laundry, you know, the bag just stays right there. It's that into the washer, back into the suitcase. And yeah, that this, this time of year, that's getting tiring for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, fighting it, like I enjoy, like I said, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy working with the people that I, I'm fortunate enough to work with and um, I like doing what we do. So I like making ski movies and ski photos and um, that's still inspiring to me. And, you know, one thing I think that I can fall back on, you know, and I, is that I feel like I have something to say about skiing and in my skiing, you know, it's not, sometimes it's more direct, like return the turn, but you know, it's like, I feel like that's just there in my skiing. And so that is inspiring to me, you know, and that keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me how much of an impact you've made on the whole sport. I mean, with return of the turn, I actually almost promised myself I wasn't going to talk about return of the turn because like, I feel like that's probably all anybody <laughs> wants to talk to you about, but um, I will talk about it because it made such a big impact on everybody. It's like every person has a photo of them trenching a turn and trying to drop their hip as low as they possibly can. And I think that's largely because of you. And I think people just are looking at it in a different way now, right? Because you put that out there and it hit immediately. And it's not something that I, if you had asked me, okay, pick five ski things like ski videos that are going to hit this year, that wouldn't have been one of them. Like it, honestly, 
but it, yeah, well, I, was, I mean, I certainly wasn't the first person to do that, but I, you know, I think um, just coming in and being like, yo, this is cool. And people do this and they, you know, that's why it was a hit, I think, because people enjoyed the everyday skiing and, and trying to get big angles and energy out of their skis. It's not just me, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, coming in and I just, in ski media, that wasn't being talked about. So, like, I'm far from the, sorry, I don't know if you heard that. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, getting... It's yeah, somebody else yeah. asking you to be on a podcast. <laughs> my dad. <laughs> um, you know, I, yeah, so I'm far from the first person to like ski that way, just coming in and saying, hey, this is cool. And I, I think it's cool. And other people think it's cool too. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and it is cool. And I think it, you're not the first person to do it, but I think you're the first person that's figured out a way and the crew that you filmed with too, it made it look like this is a good time. Like we don't all need to be just like smashing pillow lines. We yeah. can take it a different direction and still make it fun, viable and promotional. Like it's, it's everything kind of all mixed into one. And it's really, it shows your skill set, right? It shows the ski racing background. It shows the style, but it also puts it out there in a way that's fun for people to actually engage with. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, I work in a ski shop and ski shop forever. It's like now that year, everybody was walking in the door looking for something that they could trench on. And that makes a difference for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, One of the other things that I kind of wanted to talk about too, is your relationship with Blizzard. I had talked to uh, Justin Hay now a little earlier today and he was kind of talking about when you go and you talk to the engineers, the brand reps at Blizzard, they, you're one of the few athletes that he's ever seen that can have a conversation with them on the technical side and speak the same language as them. So where, where does that interest come from? And how do you have that like high level technical conversation with, with people that are making and designing skis? I think that's just, uh, it's been learned over time. I, you know, I've been with Blizzard since the beginning of my big mountain career or whatever. And, um, it's been, I think over 10 years, 10 or 11 years now. Um, and they've been just really good with involving me and other athletes in those conversations. And, you know, you, you could talk to Hey now and he could tell you, I'm sure the feedback I was giving 10 years ago was not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I can admit that, Um, you know, I, 10 years ago, I was like, yeah, I want a 201 bonafide with a metal plate, you know? And they were like, shut up. (laughs) Nobody's uh, skiing that. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I've just learned, I think over time, like, um, it's been really interesting, you know, what you feel, what you think you feel and what you feel are usually opposite. Okay. Uh, you know, so you think something's stiff, it's usually soft. You think, so, you know, it's like, it's so just going out on skis, feeling something, giving feedback and then getting, you know, I guess what's been cool is Blizzard has been able to give me feedback on my feedback right so you're like okay so you know i feel this they're like okay but you're actually like this is what's actually happening inside the skis 
right you know and to make you feel that way um and so it just yeah over time um and being able to work pretty closely with them has been really cool and i don't know where the interest comes from like you know i've skied my whole life and that's just skis are interesting to me you know it's like i spend a lot of time on them so yeah it's uh yeah i don't i don't see how you could not be interested if you're a skier as to like what's under your feet yeah i think it's it's funny because i think there's a couple different schools right it's there's the school that's like i just want to go ski whatever's whatever's gonna get me down the hill and i can ski as hard as i want to ski and i don't want to think about the gear like i don't you hear it all the time especially in a ski shop I don't give a fuck what it looks like. I don't give a fuck what it does. I just want to, I want something that I know I'm not going to break and I can ski as fast as I can. Right. That happens. And then there's also the person that like is completely nerding out on every single aspect, talking about turn radiuses and what's, you know, what kind of base they use and what kind of edge material there is and all this kind of shit. And it's always interesting to me because I feel like pretty seldom the person that's most interested in the technical aspect is not necessarily the best skier. So I, I find it interesting that you're that interested in that process and that good of a skier because that side doesn't happen that much unless you're working directly with brands. And obviously there's a big generalization there. I, I, I mean, I'd hate to say it, but I think I, like I said, I've been like pretty heavily involved for, 10 years and I'm learning a lot, you know, I just, I don't really believe that like a person that's not involved with the, with the testing and building of skis, um, even if they think they're, you know, thinking about skis in a certain way is like correct in the way they're thinking about it. You know, it's fun to geek out on skis. I get that, but, um, I mean, there's, it's, it's really complicated, you know, and there's a lot more to it than just flex side cut, you know, with mounting points, like, you know, it's, there's a whole lot more to it than just that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that stuff matters and that's fun to geek out on and, and change your mounting points and this and that. But, um, and I guess, you know, everyone, has their own style and um, feels like they might have something that works best for them. And I mean, good on them for geeking out, but I mean, chances are they just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of a difference, like moving a mounting point two inches on something that's like really good or two centimeters is like really going to do for someone. Yeah. No. And I, unless they're like, unless they're like really in tune with their equipment. And their body, right? Like their body positioning, like they know what they do. And I think a lot of times that comes from ski racing, right? Like, I mean, that's just like, you know what you got to do. You know the feeling that you have to have. And because you're on a smaller ski, your reactions and your body movements matter more. And it becomes more important as the snow gets harder. Right. No, like in powder, anything. I mean, you could ski a two by four and you'd have a great time. Yeah. You know. So obviously you like ski racing. You've come from ski racing. Uh, I don't. And I tend to think that ski racing is dying. However, I have had multiple ski racers on over the last few weeks and over the course of the last four years. 
And my opinion kind of wavers all the time. It's like, I think ski racing and competition is so important, but I kind of wanted to get your take on the current scene in ski racing and what you're seeing kind of from the outside looking in. And if it's, I don't know if it's a viable market for ski brands to be in, right? Because it costs so much money for that product to be made, for that product to be developed, for everybody to be promoted. Is it is it viable going forward in an industry that kind of seems like it's always you know struggling to make the money it needs to make, and it's such a short season, and all and all the factors that go into skiing? There's a lot to that, I think. For sure. Um, you know, I think. Growing up ski racing, you know, I, I would tell anybody if they want to be a better skier, no matter what age or level they're at, they should go to a ski racing camp or, you know, do, if you're a kid, you know, get into a ski racing program. If that's how you want to, if you want to become the best skier you can, um, that's, I think the way to do it or a mogul program, um, for instance, you know, I don't think the big mountain programs are necessarily there yet. Um, you know, but yeah, if you want to be a big mountain skier, the best thing you can do for your skiing is be a, you know, get in a ski racing program or if you're an adult, do a master's week weekend thing or, or whatever it is, you know, uh, beer league race or, you know, something at night, like that's the best way you can be a skier. So, you know, yeah, I, as far as if it's good, you know, yeah, I think it's getting smaller. It's expensive. Um, it's, it's, you know, elitist and, um, it's, that's sad, you know, it's, it prices people out and, um, here in the States, you know, it's hard to watch World Cup ski racing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're not, ski racing isn't like, it's not like 30 years ago where the best skis were slalom skis or GS skis, you know. Right. And that's what you, you know, there's, so I don't know. I I really don't know what the future of ski racing is, but, you know, I enjoy watching it. Yeah. And I think it's the best way to become a, good skier yeah it's funny because um, i i agree with every point that you just made it's just that i think the that elitist aspect of it the cost aspect of it and the fact that there are good skis now like i mean look at blizzard for example right like you can rail on a brahma right like you can take that mm-hmm. ski and ski it basically anywhere is somebody going to develop the technical skills to ski that ski well and to get that point without ski racing it, i think that that curve just kind of gets elongated versus, you know, your skills built in ski racing. You have them as a foundation, all the best skiers that I know and that I ski with all, all grew up in ski racing programs. Right. So I think there's in in that sense, it's, it's extremely valuable. Yeah. And I mean, Blizzard was in ski racing for a long, long time. Um, you know, that's where their heritage is. And, um, pretty much all the reps and everyone that works for the company is came from ski racing and it's in their DNA. So even though they're not making race skis here in the U S um, you know, it's still part of the DNA of the company. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was know, kind so. of a weird, 
It was kind of a weird thing for me when they were like, okay, like race keys aren't really going to, we're not really going to bring race keys into the U S anymore, especially because like so many of these people, like you just mentioned in blizzard ski race or ski raced at some point and have that ski racing style. And like, even, I don't know, I skied with Christian Avery a few weeks ago and like that dude rips and you can see the style that he has and the technique that he has. And it's just like, okay, like there's, there's a lot of validity in the way that it kind of builds you up as a skier over time. Cause you talk to that guy, you have a conversation with him and it's like, all right, he's kind of mellow. He's not really the most outgoing person in the entire world. Right. So to your point, like, you know, there's a reason why these skis written like a bonafide, you know, <laughs> right. there's, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's still in the DNA, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's important. And the skis, they, they have that feel to them. And I think that's kind of an important thing to note too, is like they're burly aggressive ski, with the exception of like, obviously even Rustler. I mean, Rustler is like the one everybody kind of picks on as the soft ski, but it's still got metal in it and it still rips. Like it's still, you can do whatever the fuck you want on skis like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the cool thing about the wrestler is it's just because it's, uh, I forget exactly what they say, you know, but it's like, there's some quirky little fun little saying, but it, it, <laughs> it works for everyone, you know, no matter it, it works for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can still rip on it but it will also work for someone who doesn't have a race background and wants a, a ski that's a little more playful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, you can go out and just totally rip on it. So, I mean, that's, that's the cool part, um, you know, about the technology and, and things like new technology and, and things happening in new skis right now. You know, it used to be like, okay, this is a burly ski. It's not gonna, <laughs> there's still a lot of skis like that. Um, you see people just getting like totally worked by their skis and you're like, you know, so I think that's really cool that Blizzard's been able to come up with something like the Rustler that works for just a huge range of abilities. Do you think, so I think so often we push in skiing and in the ski industry, those super high end skis, like those, those skis that are the top performance skis in the magazine reviews and online and all that good stuff. I feel like that category where most skiers are like that intermediate category kind of gets forgotten about often. Um, I, I always wonder why, why does that not get pushed more like to the masses? And I, and maybe you're not the person to answer that question, but it's, it, it's just so strange to me that we're pushing um, for years now. It's been, I don't know how long Bonafide's been out, but Bonafides are getting pushed to so many people. And like, as a ski shop owner, it's like you go in People walk in the door and they pick up a Bonafide. They buy a Bonafide because their buddy told them a Bonafide was good because Ski Mag told them a Bonafide was good or free ski or whatever. And it is a good ski. It's a a ripping good ski. But it it might be totally the wrong ski for that person. If that person's on day five of their ski career and they're just buying this ski because a magazine, like it happens so much where people just walk in and they buy the ski that's advertised to them, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can speak to that so much, but, um, you know, I think the, yeah, I, I, I think Blizzard has figured it out, um, really well, you know, that, um, how to make a ski that works for, for a, lot a of wide range of skiers, you know, um, you know, and, and yeah, if someone's day five, they probably don't need a bonafide, but, 
um, you know, you could probably get away with a Brahma. Right. Um, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of, it's not totally my world of expertise. No, for sure. And I, I just like, I always end up thinking about it every time we bring up like all these skis and I think they're great, but you know, a lot of the listener base and a lot of, a lot of skiers in general are just kind of like, they're going out there two days a year, you know, they're not out there skiing and skiing in 40 different locations throughout the season. They're kind of just like, they pick their spots and, and that's where they go. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of shifting gears here. I, was reading your blizzard bio and it you talk a little bit about the question was how do you conquer difficult situations and your answer was really interesting to me and your answer was the hardest situation for me is to back out of something that you want to do and being honest with yourself so can you elaborate on that a little bit and what does that mean how do you how do you make that decision for yourself because i think we've all a lot of us have been in situations where you really want to do something and it's just not right. It's not at the right time. It's not conditions may not be right, especially if we're talking about in the backcountry. Um, how do you actually make that conscious decision for yourself? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, early on in my, again, my professional career, um, I went to Iceland um, this is probably eight years ago or something. And, uh, then we, we went out this Kuar and, um, it was getting really hot and there was kind of cornice above us. And, uh, it was me and a photographer. And then we were hanging out with just a local person there and, and she, it was getting warm and we were like debating, what do we do? And I was like, you know, man, I, spent like all this money to be here, spent all this time. Like I want to go get the shot and I want to go ski that, you know, like, and she was just kind of like, yeah, I'm out. Like had no, you know, she and I was like, wow, well, that's really smart. And after we talked about it, I was like, okay, well, you kind of need to separate those things as to like, what is it that you really want to do? And what is it that you like can do? you know, for the moment conditions, um, you know, if the conditions don't allow it, they just don't allow it. Um, and right now, like I'm going up to Alaska tomorrow. Um, the avalanche conditions are not a hundred percent what we'd like them to be. And so, you know, it's, we have to switch gears from the, like, okay, I want to go ski this, what I want to do is go ski the steepest mountains I can possibly find, you know, but what we're going to end up doing is trying to create something more, you know, I don't know, more beautiful and, you know, um, maybe just more abstract and, um, you know, less about like just steep skiing. So you just need to like change your mindset a little bit because it's not, you know, you can't, I, I don't want to get hurt, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's tough. And then as far as like my own ability goes, I kind of think about it like, okay, can I ski this line 10 times? At, if I ski it 10 times, can I ski it 10 times clean, you know? Yeah. Or am I like putting myself out there? And if there's real consequence and real risk to it, 
Like I want to know I can do this 10 out of 10 times. Right. You know, it's easy enough to get hurt doing something stupid on skis, you know, wherever, like luck is part of it. And if there's like real consequence, I, I want to make sure I have it. So that kind of keeps me reeled in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. And I think it's really good that lately the conversation, especially in the backcountry, has kind of shifted to like avalanche safety and avalanche awareness and having that backbone before you just go out and send stuff, especially because as we all know, resorts are getting busier and things are starting to ramp up and there's more skier involvement. So obviously there's more skiers in the backcountry than ever before. So I, I think smart decision-making and hearing stuff like that, especially from someone like you is, is probably really important for people. You know, and, and like I said, I, my backcountry experience is 10 years, you know, and I, the, the 20 other, you know, 20 plus years of skiing in the resort. So right. like my ski ability far outweighs my, um, ability to make a good decision in the backcountry, I think. Um, so I keep that in mind and, and back off of things too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to be a hundred percent and like, I want to do this a long time. So I want to be as sure about it as I possibly can. You know, I don't want to just kind of leave it up to fade. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's incredibly important. And luck. Yeah. Luck is like, that's the factor that you want to limit, I think as much as possible in these situations. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I ski a lot, you know, it's, if uh, I'm rolling the dice, it's, it's going to come back to bite me eventually. So well, let's... I know it and I know it and I want to keep it, keep it reeled in. I've, I've been hurt enough to know it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be hurt. So yeah, for sure. Um, what, what are your kind of plans for the rest of the season? What do you have lined up? I know you said you're going to Alaska and it's funny, actually, are you, are you going to McKenna, McKenna Peterson too? No. Cause she's no. going to McKenna. Well, she's going to McKenna. She's going to Alaska tomorrow as well. And okay. she was going to be sitting in this seat at this time. And that's why I texted or I emailed you and I was like, there's an opening. So I wonder funny. if there was a, um, a correlation there, but I guess not. Um, oh, funny. No, I, yeah, no, we're, uh, I'm actually going up there, uh, with this kid river Radimus. Oh yeah. 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 Who he was fourth in the Olympic GS yep. this year. Um, he's a sick skier, but never been up there and <laughs> you know, ski racer. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how he does out there, but I'm just excited to watch him ski. I mean, I'm a huge fan. So yeah, that kid rips. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. He's yeah, he's got the he's got the big angles, you know. So <laughs> um, that'd be really cool. So yeah, I'm going to Alaska. This will be a return of the turn. Come back to Utah, do another return of the turn around here, and then a couple other little projects. I go out to Colorado, and then I'm going to Iceland. Um, nice. to cap it all off here for two and a half weeks. So, um, and that's kind of my last hurrah. You need a nap, dude. I feel like that. <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine. I travel for a week and I'm like, I'm fucking good for a minute. I don't need to do this anymore. Like yeah, yeah. you're back on the road two weeks later or whatever. And you're still like, all right, this is fun, but <laughs> it's a lot. 
Yeah, um, I'll, I'll take. I'll I'll get a nap then here. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Uh, airplanes are good for that. Um, mm-hmm. Can I? So when you're, do you have a preference film over photo? Like, is there one that holds more value to you as the athlete? Because you're doing a lot of both. Is what's more satisfying for you? I guess. I spent the majority of my career taking photos. That's just kind of how I started off. And um, to me, I think I enjoy that more. Okay. Uh, I don't want to say it's harder. Um, you know, the, the film thing, there's just a lot more to it. Right. Uh, and you can, yeah, there's a lot more to it. Um, and it's, it's hard. It, I mean, it's really hard, <laughs> but yeah, there's something about like when everything comes together for one moment in a photo, um, that's really cool to me. Are there, are there specific photographers that you, when you're like, okay, I get to work with this person that you get overly excited about? Um, like, is there someone in particular that you enjoy working with? Yeah. I work with uh, photographer Cam McLeod. Okay. Um, he lives up in Ogden. Um, about an hour north and we do a lot together I think he's he's super creative and yeah he's really great to just be like out in the mountains with and um, he's really good so I really enjoy working with him and then every year I go to Engelberg and work with Oscar Anander yeah and that's really cool too yeah it's funny I had no idea who Oscar was until I interviewed another photographer and athlete at the beginning of the season and then like now i'm like all i do is like look at his feed the whole time and just look at yeah how he plays with light and how beautiful that shit is yeah it's cool you know but that's kind of the neat thing about working with different photographers is you create a you know you have a relationship they know how you ski you know how they shoot and you can kind of work together um like i go I, in Engelberg, I ski a lot with this kid, Johan Jonsson, Swedish kid, um, also on Blizzard. And we have two totally different ski styles. Um, and we'll be looking at something and, you know, Oscar will know, okay, this is good for Johan or this is good for Marcus or, um, you know, kind of put us in those situations. And, and the same thing, we'll be up top, like, I'll pick something and Johan will pick something totally different, you know? So it's not just the photographer. It's really like the team. Yeah. Um, and that, that's cool. So, I mean, it's obviously fun to be in, in the photo when you open the magazine and look at it, but it's also really cool to, you know, I open them up and there's Johan or um, I work a lot, you know, Chad Sayers or something, you know, yeah um connery yeah so that's really cool too it's a, it's a team effort so um yeah and uh, video like i said video is cool but there's just something about that like one moment to me yeah yeah i guess so i also have a question about i have a couple more questions and i'll let you get out of here but i i'm always curious warren miller has kind of had the same formula for years and years and years and you can never knock it because it works right like it works really really well is there you're starting to see more and more film companies and athletes start to put out more of their content on youtube on social or they'll do like 
a mix, a 50-50 mix of putting out part of their content online and then they'll do a tour where they just like want to have the live event, but it is available for free or on YouTube or whatever. Do you, do you think there's value in that model too? Or do you think like it's a, if it's not broken, don't fix it kind of situation? Do I think there's value in, in which model? The, I mean, yes, I, I guess. Yes. Either way. Like, yeah, I think there's value in both. Um, yeah. I think putting together a, a film and, and going to the movie and having a tour, um, you know, is really cool. Like, <clears throat> watching something on YouTube is not the same as watching it on the big screen. It's just not yeah. um, same as like seeing a photo on Instagram. It's just not the same as opening up a magazine and, and seeing a two page spread. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. Full length film and a tour is like, it's a lot more difficult to pull off. Um, and then beyond that, like you get a share in that experience when you go to a movie um, with a thousand other people, you know, and you sit in the theater and, um, you know, and then the ski brands are there and athletes are there. And, um, you know, I think that's really important. I, and maybe that's just me being old. I don't know. I'd be interested. You're not that old. Well, I'd be interested to ask a kid, you know, like that same question. But to me, like the answer is like, I used to go to Warren Miller movies growing up yeah and that's where i was like this is the shit that's what i want to do um i it wasn't on youtube you know right i wasn't sitting in front of a computer going wow this is cool yeah um there's just yeah i don't know and i think you can with the internet and you can just pump out tons of content that's maybe just not um you know a level stuff yeah and so I, it waters it down a little bit. I mean, there's still amazing stuff, on, you know, on the internet, but you yeah. gotta kind of weed through, weed through it a little you bit. You gotta find that shit for sure. But, but you know, if you go to a Warren Miller or a TGR or Matchstick movie, like you know what you're getting, then it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely there's something to be said for the production quality that is put out by those companies. And I guess I, I think I've been thinking about this a lot this year because level one stopped doing annual, stopped doing traditional annual films. Mm-hmm. And they're putting out pieces that they're just basically releasing online, like Jake McGoose film, Parker white, all of these things that are like, they're, you know, they're 20 to 35 minutes, but it's like highlighting, like highlighted pieces basically. And same production qualities, I guess, and taking the same amount of time. So I guess I'm not necessarily asking about like edits or short videos and and that in comparison to Warren Miller, I guess when you see one company go and do this thing and put it out there and see the kind of reaction that it gets, I I just wonder where that leaves everybody else. Not that. And again, I think that there's value in both. Like I think we're on the same page here. There's, I still go and see a Warren Miller movie because I like the camaraderie of it. I still will go see a film tour because I like going to a film tour. Um, I just wonder like if it makes the younger generation feel a deeper sense of connection, if they can just put it on and go like, that's my shit. And then watch it 40 times on, you know, on their TV at home on YouTube or whatever, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, to me going out to the movie, that's that's the coolest, you know, that's, that's my jam. Um, and you get together with your buddies and you talk about it after and, 
that's it's more meaningful and impactful than watching something on youtube and shooting a text like yo did you see this yeah you know like yeah i mean it's cool there's Um, more longevity to it for sure you know i yeah i don't know i I don't know what i i would assume it's the more cost effective to put it on youtube i would think so do a full film tour but um you know i hope that um the film tours don't go away and um same thing with magazines i imagine it's just a lot easier to not print and just go digital but it's just not the same no in in no way i i think magazines done well should exist still i think it's just hard to balance i've had this conversation kind of a lot lately and i think the reason is there's a there's a big distinction between running a magazine and running a magazine well um and i think there's just so many ads in a lot of the magazines that were so popular as I was growing up, you're talking like, you know, 50% ads in some of these things. And that's, that's mm-hmm. great. And if that's what needs to happen, fine. But it definitely devalues some of the content that's in those magazines because it almost becomes a book of ads with some content, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, that's kind of my worry. And there's definitely magazines. Like I think the ski journal does a great job. I think adventure adventure journal does a great job. Mountain Gazette does a great job. And even ski to a certain extent, I think does, does a good job at promoting people and they're getting better at it, but there's just so much focus on getting those spreads in there, like those ad spreads in there that sometimes I, I don't know, I, I guess it's just a, it's kind of a changing of the tide in a way. And I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm, my generation is kind of somewhere in between yours and the younger generation where the younger generation's like, I want to watch TikToks and the older generation tends to be like, look, we want magazines and we want, film tours to stay around forever i i just i find value in both and it's i don't know it's kind of a weird time especially for the industry as a whole i agree with that it's certainly a weird time um yeah i mean the ads i guess don't necessarily bother me as as much like especially if it's a ad done well right um you know with a good photo like yeah i mean if it's an ad of you i'm not shitting on it you know like if it's an athlete ad fine i just mean like i don't need a full full page spread to know about yeti coolers you know like i already fucking know what a yeti cooler is (laughs) and that's my point i guess um anyway the the last thing I want to ask you about is something that has been uh, that people have been arguing about with me and with friends of mine and uh, and on the internet and all over the place for a while. All right, uh, where is uh, you live in one of these destinations? Where is the best place to go skiing? My argument has been Salt Lake for a while now, and everybody gets mad at me because they're like, no more people should fucking come to Salt Lake. Everybody should stay where they are, and no more people should go. But it's got everything. It's got the mountains. It's easy access. The airport is, like, it's in town. Everything is, like, you're 30 minutes from skiing snowboard to getting on an airplane. It's, like, that. you don't really get that very many other places. Or mm-hmm. is it a Tahoe, or is it a... Colorado and I don't know I assume your answer is Salt Lake but what what kind of sets them apart well it depends what you're looking for you know yeah um yeah each place is different and uh yeah I mean I 
live in Salt Lake for a reason. Um, and, and I am who I am because I live in Salt Lake and grew up in Salt Lake, you know, um, that said, like, I don't just stay here. Um, I right. spend the majority of my time traveling, you know, like every place has its, has its own thing going on. And man, I love skiing in Tahoe. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great skiing everywhere. Um, this is a very diplomatic me, answer. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, dude, it's hailing out now. Um, hard. Thank goodness. Um, why are they good? Why do you want hail? Huh? Why do you want hail? Well, I don't know. It's doing something at least, you know. <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that in a minute here. Um, yeah, it's Salt Lake's close. Like if you live, yeah, man, you could fly in, drive 30 minutes and you're skiing, you know, you can ski all day and fly out. Like if you're looking at, so if you're trying to take a short vacation, um, you know, you can ski kind of two at the day you arrive and the day you leave, you know, there's two extra days of skiing. Totally. Um, I literally did that last week. Yeah. I mean, now in Salt Lake, we have our own challenges for sure with people with it getting really busy and um, the canyons are, they limit how, you know, there's just limited space and the Wasatch really isn't that big. Yeah. Um, you know, and people are figuring it out that Salt Lake's awesome and they're moving here, you know. Um, you know, I always kind of used to say like Salt Lake is what, people think Denver is, you know, a city in the mountains. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, people are figuring it out, you know? Yeah. Um, but that said, like skiing's cool everywhere. Every place has got their own thing going on. There's no reason to just like pick one spot and stay there. Right. Uh, yeah. Go, go travel around. Yeah. As far as where the, where the best skiing is, like really, it's the Alps. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yet. Yeah, it's nothing here. <laughs> it's the Alps for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you want good skiing, go to the Alps. You want skiing down at the ocean, go to Norway or Iceland. You yeah. know, and if you want really good skiing with easy access, like Salt Lake's awesome too. You know. Yeah. Uh, skiing volcanoes. I love skiing volcanoes in the spring and summer. That's a really cool experience. Um, everyone should definitely do that. Um, you know, and then, yeah, going out like Tahoe or Whistler or somewhere on the coast, like, you know, Crystal Mountain with a heavier snowpack where it just sticks to things. Like, you can ski steeper things. Yeah. And so that's cool too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting to just see like how, and especially as they get busy, mountain towns get busier and busier and busier, where people start to migrate to. So the joke is I mean, always that, like, just move to Denver. Everybody just yeah. move to Denver. Just put everybody you know, in Denver. Well, that's it too. Like I've taken ski trips to uh, Michigan, uh, Minnesota, you right. know, back east. Like it's all cool and everyone's got their own kind of ski places, a different ski culture and um, different thing going on. So it's all, it's all part of it. For sure. For sure. Um, 
Awesome. Well, Marcus, thank you for the time. Uh, where where can people find you on social media? Where can people find you on the internet? <clears throat> and anything you want to plug, feel feel free. Um, they can find me on social media at Marcus Caston. Um, I'd prefer they find me in a magazine somewhere. <laughs> Subscribe to a magazine or you know, go to your Warren Miller show this fall. Um, that's a good time. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. You 100% should find him in a magazine. Do you, do you know, do you know this early in the year, what magazines you're going to be in for next year? No, no, no. I never know until I go pick them up. And that's the sad <laughs> thing, you know, that's, I used to be able to go to the store and go flip through and, yeah. uh, you know, and now that's even getting harder. So. Yeah. That's always so bizarre to me. I, I, I got one of the last, not one of the last, but like the last buyer's guide that powder put out and drew Peterson was on the cover of it. And I like posted it on Instagram and he DM me. He's like, what the fuck? Like, I haven't even seen this yet. Yeah. Like, where? yeah you like, never know. It's insane. So that's Yeah. That's always fun. So it's a nice surprise. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's like a, it's just a treat <laughs> at the end of the tunnel. So. Yeah, or they can go on YouTube and watch Return of the Turn. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that for sure. Everybody, I'm sure everybody and their mother has seen it already, but they should for sure go go uh, go watch it again. Go watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, thank you, Marcus. I appreciate the time, um, and I'll send you everything when this comes out. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Sorry it took so long. <laughs>